Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that focuses on topics related to English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. This episode is part of our special Reimagining Education series. To help visualize what the future might look like for English learners, their teachers, families, and communities, we are bringing together the people who are working to ensure that students have every opportunity to achieve their highest aspirations, despite these unprecedented challenges. We'll bring in EL leaders from around the country to discuss what they are planning for when schools reopen, how they plan on mitigating learning loss, how they are restructuring educator roles and resources under possible budget constraints, and much more. As always, we are committed to keeping you informed and inspired with resources to help you support your English learners. If you'd like to find more information or contribute to the series, check out our distance learning page at distance.elevation.com. Remember that Elevation has two L's. We'll be releasing new episodes as we record them, so new information will always be available. As always, thanks for listening, stay safe, and take care of each other. Lynn Mara Cologne, thank you so much for joining us once again on the Highest Aspirations podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, I had to uh, get back in touch with you because the, the episode that we did with you about running schools like Disney was like so inspirational and so great at the time. And, and now as, as we're facing some challenges and thinking about how we're going to move forward uh, in the future, and I know you have this kind of positive outlook and you're always trying to learn about how we might do things better. So I had to have you back on to talk about uh, what we're doing now. So before we move on, let us know a little bit about um, who you are, what your role is, and where you work. Awesome. So I am currently serving as the Director of English Learner Programs and Services for Prince William County in Northern Virginia. We have approximately uh, 29,000 English learners, 140 uh, languages. I have the honor of leading the translations department, also the professional development side of All Things L, the instructional side grades K to 12 and our central registration. So you are in the thick of it right now, trying to, as you've said, sort of build the plane as you fly it um, and, uh, and, and doing, doing the good work that lots of others are doing and leading uh, a lot of people as they work with uh, a large population of English learners. And one of the things that's happening now, as we talk to lots of folks um, on our Look for the Helpers series, is we're, we're, we're seeing that we're going to maybe have some sort of extended learning loss for uh, English learners. Not only that kind of summer slide, that's pretty typical, um, but depending on sort of equitable access to technology um, and just the, the difficulties of remote learning and the sort of suddenness of this whole thing, um, we're going to definitely see some learning loss. So my first question for you is, how are you all uh, in your district um, going about approaching mitigating this extended learning loss for English learners at this point? That's a great question, and it is one that uh, keeps me up at night all all the time because, you know, um, our, our students are one of the most vulnerable populations there is in schools. So um, one of the messages that we have remained consistent with is knowing our, our students, knowing your learners, and that also means knowing uh, their emotional state because as you know uh, there will be some trauma as a result of this and that's going to impact 
how we how we support them. Uh, so having the adequate professional learning for our teachers so that they can be ready to support them in whatever environment we return to, um, either if it's physical learning or if it's uh, virtual learning, making sure that, that we have strong curriculum out there, that we prepare our teachers, and that we also take the time to know where they really are. We've had conversations uh, around their English proficiency uh, level, and yes, that's, that's all great, but uh, I truly believe that our kids don't need to be serviced, they need to be supported, and that's what we're really are focusing on um, right now so that we can close uh, the gap. Yeah. And so, you, and you met one of the things you mentioned, two things that I think we're going to come back to one of them uh, being the idea of sort of, you know, it's uncertain how uh, schools are going to look moving forward. And so we're in whatever sort of, you know, form of school we're doing, whether it's blended or whether it's, you know, all at school or whether it's uh, all remote for a while. Um, you know, we, we do anticipate here seeing at least some fully remote learning going on um, in the fall in some places. Um, so thinking about not only the instruction, but also supporting the students rather than servicing them, which I think is great. Um, what, what, are, what are you doing now to sort of think about providing equitable access um, to students in different kind of learning environments, particularly English learners, um, so that instruction can be effective? Like, have you learned anything over the last two months that you'll continue? Are there new initiatives that you're going to try moving forward? How is that going to look? Uh, so we've, we've done a lot. And I, I will say today I'm, I'm talking to you here as a representative of the amazing work that our team has been doing. But one, one of the most powerful things that we are doing right now is making sure that our, our colleagues understand that our teachers are not interventionists, that they are specialists, and they deserve a seat at every single table where we are making decisions uh, about how learning is going to look like for kids. And just the collaboration itself has been amazing. I will say for our school division, our students have been represented in every phase and piece of, of the plans that we've shared with the communities and with every stakeholder. So I'm, I'm very, very happy about that. And also looking at this situation as, you know, struggle and it's, it's hard and it's huge, but that is not our identity and that is not our kids' identity. So pushing, pushing in, um, people are co-teaching in, in Zoom meetings. We are supporting teachers weekly in the virtual setting. Um, right now we have theme sessions. Uh, initially, we were just having what I would call Dr. Phil sessions where they would come mm -hmm. and just share the struggles that they were having and validating them and letting them know it's okay to feel this way because it is different. But now that everyone has gotten in the groove of this we are being more intentional about the sessions and some are around translating and why is it important to communicate with parents in different languages also how can you uh, keep data 
on your communication with parents and the work that you're doing because we are supporting students. We are meeting with students. Uh, and while some of them might be more uh, active than others, we want to capture those interactions so that when we come back, we know where we left them. Um, it's just a variety of things. We have uh, done a lot with parent engagement. We have a weekly parent virtual camp where we, again, are asking our parents, what is it that you need? What can we support you uh, with? Because we are getting into their houses. So now right. we're asking permission to do this together with them. And, and I think that our partnerships with them are more important than before because we cannot do this without them. And we have a variety of offerings in their native language as well. And just letting people know it's okay to be scared. It, it's okay to have all this, these feelings, but we are here with you and you don't have to do this alone. Yeah. So that first stage of just making sure that folks know that they're supported and that there's, you know, there's resources out there for them. But now it sounds like the, the, the PD uh, is sort of in themes and that's become really important for you. Um, as well as, an, you know, I, I like what you said at the beginning there about how you're, you have to, that people have to know that your teachers are not interventionalists, but specialists, and therefore they need a seat at the table. Um, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit on that mm -hmm. uh, by asking you, uh, you know, people are probably going to have to be interventionalists at some point. They're going to have to sort of come in and say, all right, well, this student missed this much time and this much content and they're, 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 they're way behind and we have to get them sort of caught up or find a way to sort of intervene to use a term to, to make sure that they're okay. Um, so is, does that mean that you have to sort of reallocate positions or roles or, uh, you know, assignments? And if so, do you think that your school district and others for that matter are sort of ready to do that? So, so here's the thing. I mean, I, I see it as um, we're not interventionists because language does not require an intervention. It's a process. Mm -hmm. And the way I look at it is um, it's a good thing that these students are at home, uh, perhaps, talking to their family in their native language, and our role is more of that support. I mean, we know that even students who are English um, speakers, they will probably uh, need some support. But if from the get-go, uh, Steve, we see it as, oh my, um, L's, L's are gonna come with a lot of gaps, and this is gonna be a problem, then, uh, I don't see how we can empower our students to do better and to feel that they can be successful. Uh, so, you know, we, we've tried to do a lot of project-based learning with, with our, our kids. Um, we've been creative about how we provide feedback to them. And we've also talked about when we come back, regardless if it's in person, on, online, we are not going to take an approach of deficit thinking, mm -hmm. but looking at, okay, what can they do and how can we draw from their strengths to move forward? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I, you know, I, I, it's 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 a tough one because I and that was sort of a devil's advocate question because I think if you if you listen to this podcast, one of the themes that you hear over and over again is 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 asset based thinking. No, and, I I know, and you know, I I feel very passionate about this because part of my story is, and I I can relate in some way to this COVID experience because when I was ten. Uh, a hurricane hit my island, Puerto Rico, and I didn't go to school for seven months. Oh, so you're well positioned to have at least a lot <laughs> yes. of empathy for this um, whole thing. I'm not. There, there was no <laughs> social distancing, but I do remember not going to school. And when my mother, uh, she sent me here to the United States with my aunt because she was afraid that I was going to lose the year. Our country was trying to uh, figure out those things. They, uh, they determined here that I needed to be retained because I had not had schooling for seven months. And I would like to think that I turned out okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I have that in my mind as I'm making decisions because it's not their fault, right? This is not something that we plan, but I want them to feel successful and I want them to have hope when they come back and and our teachers to understand we, we can't hold it against them because it's nobody's fault that we're going through this. Right. And the, you know, the other thing that you mentioned in that last, uh, for that last question that I asked you before mm-hmm. was um, you, you, you got into family engagement, which, which to me, like one of the silver linings here is, is, I mean, family engagement has always been a big thing, but, I, but I mean, I think it's one of those things that, that districts do pretty well. Um, in general, but maybe not to the extent that we have to do it now, because as you mentioned, we're inviting uh, our teachers, our families are inviting teachers into their homes. Like I see my second grader is upstairs. I see his teacher now more than ever. And we have a great relationship. Like, like we've always had whether when he was in school brick and mortar, but now it's there all the time for me to see. And because we had a good relationship with that teacher going into this whole thing, you know, it's made this transition easier a couple of things that you mentioned about family engagement as well was, was keeping um, data about sort of the conversations and the, and the interactions that you've had. I'm curious to learn more, more about that and how you're going to use this, you know, these, this communication with families now moving forward as you go into next year, because this has become a really big issue. Um, it is. And I mean, we value our families. We have a lot of training that we do with, with educators at the school to equip them with how to work with families. But uh, initially when all of this happened, we noticed that some of our families were not answering our calls or, uh, you know, you have to differentiate how you send information. So it was very important for us to try to understand the why, because at the end of the day, we have a responsibility to evaluate our programs. And just Mm -hmm. because COVID happened, does not mean that we're not going to continue to reach out to our families and support our students. So uh, learning is optional for, for us. Um, here, students, um, they can submit assignments and get extra credit. Uh, we are communicating with families, but we wanted to know, okay, what is going on in, at home and in the lives of, of these students? And that's why we decided, okay, we're going to keep logs and data on what, what is happening, what are we learning from our families so that we can be intentional 
about the supports that we're putting in place. And that's how the, the parent camp was birthed because we saw the need for them to see where can I access all these resources. Uh, I have also been in a couple of Facebook live groups where um, I have in, in Spanish communicated to them uh, some of the things that we have available, uh, where to get the meals, how to get the technology, uh, anticipating that we're going to be sending surveys and that it is important for them to actually take the call and, and let us know what they need. All those things matter. Just saying that you're sending it and they're not responding, it's, it's not good enough right. because people are dealing with so many things. And that is something that we're learning from our parents when we have the virtual parent camp. We're actually sharing screens and showing them this is how you go uh, through the website. This is how you can get free access to these things. And also creating a culture of safety because uh, for, you know, you mentioned your child that you had a relationship with the teacher, but for some of our students, we didn't have a relationship with the parent because they were working or they, they couldn't attend the PTO meeting. Sure. So now we have to make every effort to make sure they have the information because we know that the student will get access through the, the parent. If the right. parent doesn't have the information, then the student is not going to gain access to the things that they need to access uh, the learning that we want them to have. So they, they have been one of my top priorities. Uh, it can be scary, but I continue to let them know that it is okay acknowledging feelings and, and letting them know that we are not asking them to take care of the learning. That's what we're here for. We want to partner with them and we want to make the experience one that works for both uh, our school division and them at home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, very well said. And I'm glad I asked you that question. And I actually have one follow-up, which is, I mean, do you think that for your district and or for others that this whole thing is going to um, improve uh, how we are engaging with families? And, and if so, or if not, what, what sort of specific things do you think are most important to, uh, to improve now? Oh, definitely. I mean, I, we had last week 200 parents uh, sign up and most of them speak another language. And the fact that we are not coming with a crafted agenda because it's, it's theirs. They can come into this space with their kids, eating dinner, however they want to come. We welcome you as, as you are. One of the uh, themes for us this year was all are welcome. And I will tell you, I, I have never experienced anything like that where you just can be vulnerable with your families because I'm going through the same thing. Sure. So I, I can relate. I have twins that are seniors and I know how difficult it is. And it's not me sharing information, but it's us doing life together. And that's what school should be, us mm -hmm. doing life together and having uh, authentic and real partnerships with them. So I, I think it's, it's gonna, we're going to have better relationships when we go back. Not that we didn't. I mean, we have a, a great relationship with our parents. But this is a time where you show up and you let people be seen 
and we're all down there in the arena, like Brene Brown would say, <laughs> and we're, we're doing life together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, I think you're right. I, I, and it's a question that I like to ask though, because I think like if you didn't have a good, and there are plenty of districts out there that for whatever reason, just don't have, don't, don't emphasize family engagement as something that is, you know, crucially important. There's a bunch of other things to do, whatever. But now, like if you didn't have good relationships with your families going into this thing, and maybe you had some mm-hmm. technology issues and you had some equity issues, you're really struggling right now. But the good news is that this this spotlight that's being shined on all those things um, is going to hopefully create um, some improvements. You know, and Steve, I, I will tell you, when I see the the students that are coming to the for the for the parents to the virtual parent camp, uh, the thing that comes to my mind, and I shared this with our staff, was kids are watching our actions and inactions, and what are they seeing? Uh, that is so important to me because we know that our students are going to be so much stronger, and they're watching how we resolve conflict. They're watching how we react to fear, but they're also watching how we take something so big and take it to the finish line, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I say that we're in the middle right now. We know what's going on. We know, you know, COVID happened, we're dealing with it, but it is what you do in the middle that is so important because it's what's taking you to the finish line. And there's so much growth that we can do right now. Right. Uh, and we can't ignore the feedback from our parents because they are the ones doing a lot of this stuff at home. So yeah. it is in our best interest to continue to talk to them. And that's why the, the camp is weekly so that we can get feedback. We, we take notes on what is it that they're telling us after the camp we code all the themes and we talk about, okay, next week, what are we going to do? It informs our plans. They give us so many ideas and they share so much with us that um, we can come back and say, okay, this is what they said. Um, We need to make sure we incorporate that into the things that we're doing. So it, it has been a good thing in the midst of it all. And I think I think what you said is the is the key takeaway here for anybody who's doing family engagement well, but like taking that information, coding it somehow, and then using it right to inform decisions um, for the next school year or for when we come back um, in whatever way that that might that might happen. The the other piece of that formula shifting back over to the students as we think about um, you know the next school year. I mean, how how should there's going to be, there's, you know, nobody really knows what's going to happen, but budgeting is going to be an issue. I mean, there's lots of really kind of dire news out there. Um, so we have all these things we need to do for our English learners. We need to figure out sort of where they're at when they come back to school so that we can provide them with the support that they need. And, and we have a variety of other things we need to do as well. So um, how, how are you going about evaluating um, your needs to determine how to invest in EL education moving forward with whatever funds you have available? I mean, do you have a, a picture yet of what that's going to look like to even be able to make any decisions or are you still kind of trying to figure it all out? I, I do. <laughs> I do have a, a picture in, um, 
uh, again, it, it's based on the feedback and I believe the needs of our school division, but I met this morning with, with our team and we were actually talking about the tiers because usually we would craft a professional learning that would support teachers on serving elves. But one of the questions was, how do we support leaders who are supporting this work? Because we know they matter in uh, regardless of how we go back, how will they uh, distinguish a student with interrupted schooling from a newcomer and what is really uh, COVID's life, like some people are calling it, mm -hmm. and what is really language. So making sure that we have something for everyone is really, really important for us. And, and also uh, anticipating, anticipating the, the needs of the students that are going to be coming to us. Uh, that has been uh, very, very important. But I will say that right now we continue to provide professional learning to our teachers. We have not stopped. Uh, we, we have had the conversations about how will we uh, support coaches uh, in providing uh, feedback to teachers who are connecting to students online. So that's something that we're looking at, how we're using people who are doing outstanding things in our school division and highlighting them as voices from the field so that other teachers can also learn from them and connecting with people from other countries so that they can share with us some of the things that they have done to serve their elves in a way of making this more global a global learning experience yeah yeah i think that's a that's a great part of it too just connecting with others from around that i mean this is a great time to connect with people from around the world because we're all sort of doing this thing together regardless of where we are and i think different countries are in different stages of it to sort of know um what's happening and and uh to learn from others i think three common threads that i've picked up on this conversation um that i think are, are really important uh that i'll sort of summarize with you and then i'll ask you if, if i missed anything you can add anything on there but you've you've sort of uh, spiraled throughout this the idea of professional development making sure that teachers and teacher leaders are prepared and coaches are prepared to work with your students You've talked about the connection to families and how that's been so important now and about how you're going to use that data to move forward and make sure that you're still connected and forming stronger bonds to make sure that the children are taken care of wherever they are. And the third thing I think is a, is a little bit more, I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're talking a lot about how, you've talked a lot about how you know, these students have experienced trauma and it's not just all about uh, the learning at this point. And so I'm going to kind of characterize that as like taking a whole child approach, if that, if that makes sense, if not. Yes, because we know we know we have to take care of those needs. And I need I need to make sure that I feel safe and uh, connection with you before I can even get to to learning. So that is that is really, really um, important for us. Yeah, and with those three things in mind, that those are kind of guideposts to to help you through it. So, so I have kind of a two-part question to conclude this. Um, one is if I missed any sort of big pillar aside from professional development, family engagement, supporting the whole child. I know there's a lot, a lot of others, but if I missed anything major, I'd love to hear it. Mm -hmm. And then, third, are you thinking about like, 
like the CARES Act or ESSER funds or anything else at this point to be able to support these needs yet? Or is it just too early for you to begin thinking about that? You know, uh, we continue to wait for guidance from from the state and, you know, DOE. I had the opportunity to go to an ESSA webinar this week, and we're just all waiting to hear about that piece. What we are not waiting on is having this urgency of having a plan to support our students. So that's that's the funding piece, but I will say, again, we have amazing people who are thinking in innovative ways on how we can best support um, our students. So yes, the, the funding is a, is a big thing, but I think people is a bigger thing. You have the right people uh, who have this urgency and are, are always thinking, okay, what can we do to make sure we reach out to kids? What can we do to get feedback for parents because we have the students we have the parents uh, we have amazing educators uh, I was I was talking to someone earlier and and this is a question that I've been asking myself uh, what is my greatest weakness right now because it's okay to do reflection and then can I identify someone whose strength is my weakness and am I connecting with that person so my kids can win as a result of that relationship I love that uh, that 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 is so key and it doesn't have to be people within your own school or your own department invite them to your table we have invited people from student services risk management multiple departments to come to our support sessions with teachers why because we recognize that we are in this together and they have so much to bring and teach our teachers, and I want them to be equipped for our kids. So when we come back, we are in good shape to, to support them and, and serve them. Yeah. So use what you know, but but also know what you don't know and get the right people to to help you with that. I think that's that's some great advice and a great place to... Yeah, greatness does not go on sale. Greatness calls for commitment. So yes. we are committed to kids. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, Lynn, it's been really great chatting with you again. Um, I hope that listeners were able to take uh, some some of the inspiration out of this. There's a lot that you're doing down there that uh, that is quite helpful, um, and it was really nice to kind of focus on that uh, that family engagement piece and also the PD and 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 the whole child. And and thank you for going out on a limb and sort of answering, trying to answer some questions that really nobody uh, yet has the answers to. I really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. We are in this together. Uh, it, this is about kids. It's not about who's doing something and who's not doing uh, something else. We, we're trying to figure this out together and collaboration is non-negotiable right now. We, we have to. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.